Hello, and welcome to Rethinking Legal Ops, a podcast by Speed Legal. I'm Ashwari Saxena, and here we talk to legal experts, industry leaders, and innovators about the many ways that legal tech is transforming the way we practice law. Today we have an amazing guest with us, Anne Ranga. She's the VP of Legal at Solify and also a woman that I really admire for all her work. So it's wonderful to have you here, And Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here and join this discussion. Great. And uh, for those who don't already know, uh, Solify is a very fast-growing uh, uh, fintech company, and they're doing really cool work, so check them out. And I'm your host, like every time I'm Ishvaya, I'm the head of legal at Speed Legal, we're a legal tech company. And today we'll be talking about the in-house experience at, at fintech, fintech companies. Um, and just to kick things off, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your academic and your professional journey and, and what led you to working in fintech. Sure, yeah, so I've been an attorney for about 13, 14 years now. And I think like a lot of lawyers, I started working in law firms and I kind of started in bankruptcy litigation, so chapter 11 work. And in the chapter 11 work, you actually see a lot of businesses, you know, top to bottom, inside out. And so I thought, you know, I really would love to work for a business. So over half of my career, I've been in-house um, in some capacity. Two of the three companies I've worked for have been tech specifically, but um, I think fintech is just an exciting place to be. So I've been in fintech now for five years and I love it. I think it's fast moving. It's interesting. It supports your day to day life without you even knowing it and all the financial institutions that you know make the world go round. So I just think it's an exciting space um, and I really love being in house and getting to know a customer. Right. So instead of 100 clients with one problem each, you have one client with 100 problems and I, you just get to know your company, your products, um, the folks who work there really well. And I find that to be really enjoyable. So, um, yep, really like the space. That's great. Yeah, FinTech is is super, super interesting. Uh, and just before, like, we started uh, the podcast, we were having a conversation how there's always, like, new players and new regulations yep. and new things coming up. And it's so it's so fast-moving. So I'd love it's to... Very fast-moving. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where even through the years that I've been at the company, even we have to flex with the, with the changing time, times, regulations, new players on the market. So, you know, our products and services. There's always new development. There's always bells and whistles. There's always a new regulation the product team has to watch out for and the legal team. And so you just can't really sit back and um, you, you always have to be alert. And that's what keeps it interesting. And it also keeps it fun to say, well, there's new players emerging. There's new tools that people need to have. And I just, um, yeah, it's never a dull moment, <laughs> maybe you could say. Yeah, that's a fun area to to work in, not having that many sort of like phases where there's not that much fast moving stuff. And, you know, I feel similarly about legal tech. I think things move slower 
in legal tech in comparison to to fin fintech because I think the uh, level of adoption is still relatively low. People are still, in my opinion, not as used to legal tech as they are to uh, to fintech. Uh, maybe yeah. like and, and and there are like some similarities that I can draw on. Um, maybe in like the two thousands when fintech was you know slightly like newer and like banks were like very sort of closed mm -hmm. off and people were not used to um, using like you know tools to optimize finances and businesses were not as used to it. Um, I think legal tech is having a similar similar type of uh, type of journey. So it's still a very yes. exciting uh, exciting place to be and the adoption is increasing now. Like people are going out and looking for these types of uh, solutions of so, uh, very yes to be I you know even even the term fintech or the term legal tech I, I I just think it hit the consciousness like you said in the last few years and I I would agree with you I think legal tech adoption is relatively slow I think sometimes as a department legal teams are at somewhat of a disadvantage um, getting money or budget or attention for these legal tools that they have. And I think in a way it's uh, the cart before the horse. So sometimes you need the data to show that you need a tool, but the tool is what gives you the data. So if you're saying, here's our volumes, here's the issues we're working on, here's the amount of times we have exceptions we have to manage, without your legal tech, you're not able to give that but you know what I mean? So I do think I, I would agree with you. I think legal tech is coming up quickly, but you still see legal departments getting probably smaller budgets and a little bit, um, you know, the KPIs that everybody likes to talk about. Legal, legal teams oftentimes are at a disadvantage to show that and show the business case for the tools. So uh, it's kind of an interesting place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you bring up a very interesting and important point there. Like sometimes you need that tool to show the data and the data to yeah. like you know, be able to to buy a tool. We've had the that experience with some of the uh, clients that we've worked with in-house teams just saying that, hey, we didn't necessarily subscribe to you for this service, but can you also give us data so we can buy like more services within your platform? Yes. Uh, I, I totally, I totally believe that. I. I think sometimes these tools and, you know, they're getting smarter and smarter. And when you think about a legal team being small, you know, this isn't the, a department where there's a lot of waste. So you have the number of lawyers or support team members that you need. You're not having extra folks or extra time to start crunching numbers and going through and manually giving that data. So if you don't have a tool that does it, um, you, you're definitely at a disadvantage to present up to a decision maker with a who holds the purse strings to say, hey, by the way, we we have this tool, but we could utilize it even better. So um, you just have to, most companies, if not all, it's data-driven decisions, right? That's, that's how you do it. Especially I think in tech where data is kind of abundant. Um, it's just not abundant and legal <laughs> in many cases, if you don't, if you don't have a partner who can, who can help you do that. So yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's like a great segue into the first, uh, the second question that I wanted to ask you. Um, and, um, you know, apart from like the lack of visibility over expenditure, what are some of the top legal concerns at uh, fintech company legal departments? I think we, some of the top concerns that I would say I think about day to day or keep me up at night on occasion would be um, most fintech companies 
aren't necessarily regulated themselves, but you're selling into financial institutions or captives or other um, firms that themselves are regulated. So one of the major concerns we have is keeping up with um, and managing regulatory requirements for our customers that then translate to obligations for us. And, you know, fintech by its very nature, tech is kind of agnostic to jurisdiction, right? You're logging into a URL from anywhere in the world. So it's not like you're deploying your product in the States and that's the only place it is. The point is that it can be in multiple jurisdictions at any time. And so for us, um, I think so, a really good example, which is where fin legal tech helps, for example, is that most financial institutions need to have very good oversight into subcontractors or fourth parties. Um, and if you don't have a good tool to help you manage that and even audit them and other sorts of concerns, you're you're way behind the eight ball because all of our contracts these days have some sort of provision for oversight into subcontractors or fourth parties to the to the banks. So um, that would be one one example of trying to keep up with these new requests um, that we're getting from customers. Um, a similarly new regulation might be um, in Europe. There are laws that require vendors to financial institutions to have provisions for stressed exit. So even if the relationship is terminated, you still are obligated by the regulator to help that institution because they can't be without a system of records. So those sorts of things are relatively new and you have to change all of your, not just your contracts, but the operations under it um, to comply. So keeping up with multiple jurisdictions every day than <laughs> ever expanding jurisdictions is is probably I'd say one of the top concerns specifically for fintech um, but you know another top concern would be something that we touched on a little bit earlier which is just you have to be very nimble you you're the product and services teams are always trying to respond to the market which means we have to respond to the market in legal we have to keep our contracting terms flexible they have to be fair they have to be industry standard right we don't want to come out of the gate with a outdated contract that no longer reflects the market and their appetite right for those terms so that's a big challenge and it's part of what makes your job fun is that you're not just dealing with legal team you're dealing with your smes you're dealing with your developers your support teams your uh, product deployment teams your sales teams and so it's truly a cross-functional issue that legal gets to manage but um, you, you really need input across the entire organization for that so i think those are two big issues um i would say a third issue is keeping up with all your contracts and the terms they're in, which terms have been negotiated by whom, how does that change our day-to-day -day around a customer, if so? So just the general volume of terms that you're getting in with small teams and perhaps, um, you know, needing more automation or more tools to help with oversight into your contractual terms and obligations. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And how much of the this work, the problem areas that you're talking about, is there any level of automation or optimization with tech tools uh, so far? You know, I think, to be honest, we're still figuring that out to a certain extent. Anything that is standard or follows a standard process, we're trying to automate at least in part or at least have tools to help with that. So, of course, the big player in legal tech is contract lifecycle management tools. And those have been really helpful for standard terms. Let's say you have a, a standard NDA 
and it's not being negotiated. It's a standard, maybe it's for a demo or, or something like this. We've automated our system such that the sales person can go in and send it themselves, right? You don't need to have intervention from other people if certain conditions are met. And that's really important because when it's been thoughtfully created in the sense that people can self-help with certain legal tools, um, it just takes some of the burden off of our team to say, we, we're not going back and forth on an email a few times, which might take five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 20 minutes here. Um, and the tool can kind of help help do it for you and keep track of it, right, with the audit trail. So you know when it was sent to whom and by whom. Um, so that's quite a bit of what we're doing with our, with our automation. It's also, as you know, like um, integrating with um, e-signature e e type tools, mm -hmm. that's, that's been very helpful because for better or worse in legal, it's, uh, we deal with mountains of documents on a day-to-day -day basis and keeping those all straight means that um, any sort of automatic saving or um, indexing of contracts and other documents is quite helpful, um, very helpful, when you, especially when you have lean, lean teams. So um, those are a couple big, you know, big ways that we would we would use the, the legal tech to help on the day to day. That makes a lot of sense. And and you, you've been talking about sort of keeping track of things and, you know, time uh, saving and, uh, you know, managing the quantum of, you know, legal work with uh, leaner uh, legal teams. Um, what would you, if you had to put a finger on one of these, what would you say would be the biggest win if you managed to automate maybe like at least 50% of the work that you're describing? The biggest win is the... You know, there's a very large opportunity cost to doing maybe what you would consider an admin type work with just managing documents. So we need as much time in our day as as attorneys and as um, people who mitigate and manage risk holistically for a company to think and <laughs> and to solve problems and to think forward, be strategic, ideate around different issues that are coming. Right. And so. If we're dealing with back office, back end sorts of things, we're not taking that time instead, right, to be strategic and to think about that and to say, hey, there's new regulations coming out in the financial world. What do we do? And you do really need to be ahead of all that. You can't just be reactive. And I think the the time that it takes is just quite it's it's hard to overestimate the amount of time that those sorts of things take. And so if you don't have a tool to help you, you are not really providing the best counsel you can because you're, you know, 10% of your day, maybe 20, maybe 30, depending on the day, is spent on things that a system should or could be managing for you. And so, you know, you really want to be present for your company in the more, um, you know, the things that really need your brain power, your attention, block of time to think about. Um, so I think that that's the biggest win is time. It's just time back to to really be strategic and, and um, be a partner to the business teams, not just not just the department that manages documents, but the department that helps think and strategize and move the company forward. 
Absolutely. That that really resonates with me. I think you put it beautifully. It's it's so important, especially today. It always has been, but especially now that legal departments are treated as like strategic business partners rather than you know, yes. like a cost center or you know, someone you go to when you just have a question. Um and right. um the other thing you said, you know, you can't just be reactive. You have to be prepared for a lot of these regulations. You have to like, you know, keep um pace with them, you have to, you know, understand like the implications of that for your business. You can't necessarily be doing that while also, you know, doing a bunch of like manual work, managing and keeping track uh, of your documents and thinking about regulations. For me, data privacy in fintech is is a, is a fascinating uh, area because there's a bunch of undefined uh, things and like so much of it is, um, you know, there's always newer, interpretations and new reg uh, regulations in that regard. Um, can you talk about some of like the top five maybe data privacy concerns that uh, are most common for fintech companies? I think, um, yeah, there's, um, you could go on all day about privacy issues this, this day and age, but I think one of the top concerns is the, just the basic, understanding what data we have, from whom and where it's going into the organization and uh, you know because just because data is entered into system a does not mean it stays in system a right it might touch system b and then c and then maybe you have a third party come in for penetration testing and oh maybe they have access now to this data so the actual map data flow mapping right as they call it and transfer impact assessments and things like that the actual you know, building blocks of a good privacy program is how do you manage not just your customer data, you know, that they're putting into the system and understanding what data you have, but then how are your tools working on that data? Because um, it's not, nobody operates in a vacuum. So you have suppliers, you have infrastructure partners, you have security partners, you have code repositories. Where, where's their data going? That's that's the threshold question. And I think that that's a concern because the business is nimble. There's always new vendors. There's always new ideas. And you want to be very careful when you're onboarding a new vendor or when you're building a new tool or a new system or you're writing a new workflow. And you say, hey, it used to be that only this these employees had access to this data. Now we have this new program, this new department, this new thing. Can these people also have the same level of access? So it's it's very complex to get right. It might sound simple, but it's not because there's so many moving pieces. So I think the very basic of understanding what data you have and where it's going um, is is quite difficult. It's more difficult than it sounds. So I think that that would be one of the first first concerns. One of the second is, of course, what we touched on earlier, which is you're doing business in jurisdictions, uh, several jurisdictions at once. And so it's not just, oh, I read the paper and I saw California has some new um, privacy laws coming out. It's like, well, you're not getting automatic updates perhaps in all the countries where you're doing business. So building out a really good network of trusted, maybe outside counsel or advisors, um, having proper oversight, maybe a proper privacy person on your team whose job it is to keep that in their in the front of their mind is really important and it's you're always worried that you're missing something new because it's so fast these days it's it's 
um, which is good for consumers, it's good for individual people that these new laws are coming out, but they're coming out very quickly, right? Um, so that's that's hard to keep um, keep up with. Um, so that would be a couple. I think I think in in fintech specifically as well, a concern is that financial institutions are attractive uh, targets, not just for regulators themselves. You know, this like if you're going to do an audit and you're a regulator, you you may very well pick a financial institution, but also for bad actors. Um, the type of data that they hold is attractive for for people, and so you know as a provider to a financial institution that they are in the hot seat, you know, for lack of a better term, from kind of regulators, bad actors, things like this. And so you have to be tight. You, you have to have a good program. You have to be able to give assurances to them and to yourself that your controls are working because what you don't want is to, um, you know, just check a box but not have an underlying program because one day your financial institution that you service will be audited or will have a breach and you you will have to um you know be called to the carpet and, and do your part to to make sure that you mitigate that because um it's just a um you know sensitive information that they have so i think serving those institutions with that sort of data you know you have to be careful <laughs> um so and then i i think the one of the final things i would say too is that it, um, especially as a legal team managing the liability exposure in the event of a breach, you know, contractually, I think customers are pushing vendors in this space to take on more and more liability, um, which makes sense to a certain degree. But oftentimes a fintech firm is the little guy, mid-sized guy in between the massive infrastructure providers and the global financial institutions. And so you're doing the best you can to make sure that liability is fair and a shared kind of model um, with everyone, everybody along that chain. Because you're the little guys. So you need to make yeah. sure you negotiate well with these massive institutions um, and, and not overexpose the company. Um, you know. Yeah, so that, that can be quite difficult. And there's no secret sauce for that. You just have to you know, be very aware. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That is, that is extremely insightful. And it also, um, you know, with, with any sort of like newer technology and FinTech is not even like a new, new technology, but when the space is uh, undefined and there's already these existing sort of institutional, um, you know, big, big players, it can be very intimidating to sort of keep up with the regulations and negotiate and try to find leverage where there might not necessarily be that much uh that much leverage uh right. it's very sort of cool to get like sort of like an inside view of that so thank you for sharing that um i'm gonna ask you um and how much like so these uh, data privacy concerns very serious ones that you mentioned do you see any legal tech tools uh, that you're aware of that are in existence at the moment helping solve uh, some of some of these issues or like help you yeah. tackle them better yeah, I think there's I think there's several ways. So a good example is um, vendor management or compliance type tools can help you with that data flow mapping. So instead of having to manually draw or write out where your data is going, there's tools that can actually help you do it in a very easily consumable way uh, or consumable you know presentation of it, and it'll help you automate 
the decisioning around if it's a high, medium, low risk vendor. And that takes out some of the human error on the front end, but it also takes out the actual uh, time that it takes for somebody to have to be dedicated to review. So on the side of managing those partners that you're doing business with, that's that's quite helpful to have a, a system or a tool that can help you. It, it also can help, um, as I mentioned, as an example, uh, financial institutions need to see who their fourth parties are. So when they do annual due diligence audit type of activities on us, we have to not only provide our security protocols and privacy programming documentation, we need to oftentimes show what our our vendors are doing. And so these tools can be a repository for, um, you know, or self-service repository even for our customers to look at the maybe the stock reports, maybe the ISO certifications, maybe the, you know, specific germane uh, uh, terms or flow down type of terms that we have with these other vendors so that our customers can look at that because these audits are getting quite onerous in terms of time and frequency, you know, that it, that it takes. So that, that would be one good way that it would help. I think one of the most important things though is the searchability of your contracts. So in the event that you have a security incident or a privacy breach or incident, how how would you quickly find out who you have to notify and when and in what time frame and what details? I mean, if you don't have a CLM tool, the answer is you're you're not. You're you're pulling your contracts up and trying to read them. But a lot of these tools are smart, and so you can keyword search, and you can show maybe in the tool how many contracts are non-standard. So if your standard notification for a personal data breach is 48 hours, but some customer has negotiated down to 24 yeah. you need to know you need to know that and yeah. so clm can, is very useful for that and that, and that's really important to manage relationships and obligations is knowing what they are and and just having a scanned pdf of a contract is not it's not going to get you very far yeah. when, when you actually need to search it so yeah, yeah, no, that that makes that makes total sense. I think just like more visibility, more control, uh, so you can be more strategic about uh, these sorts of things. That really uh, res resonates with me because um, I, I think that uh, with regards to privacy, in regards to how I've seen in my very limited experience, uh, the way the work is handled, it's, it's still quite human driven. Um, there are. Uh, you know, tools that um, companies are using to track like um, where data travels and uh, things like that. But when it comes to the the legal uh, aspect of data privacy, it's it's still very like sort of human human driven, yeah. and it, you know it's it's kind of a predicament as well because um, you know often there are privacy concerns with legal tech tools. So it's it's kind yeah, of that's right. <laughs> you pick and it's a it's a very interesting issue but uh, I think more and more legal tech tools are becoming um, GDPR compliant uh, some of them are even beginning to host their servers in in Europe to work with European uh, clients rather than uh, just work in the US and hopefully as the law evolves and the acceptability of um, you know Google Cloud or uh, Amazon in in Europe will it'll be interesting to see how that that evolves and what you know business looks like uh, with that. This has been a wonderful conversation with you, Anne. I just learned so much about about the world of fintech. It's it's a type of world that 
it seems so interesting, but also it's a very complex world. A lot of these regulations are so hard to uh, understand. So it's uh, really uh, great to get the inside view, the in-house experience in, in, in fintech companies. And it's just been such a lovely conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always enjoy um, speaking about it and sharing what, what I do know. So it, yeah, it's been great to speak to you about it as well. Great. And I've uh, and our listeners, uh, I'm sure, have very much, very much benefited from uh, tuning in today as well. And I can't wait to follow all the amazing work Solify does under your your leadership. And uh, and, and and yeah, thanks again for for doing this. I um, I really admire the um, you know your sort of like your career path and um, the things you're you're doing today. So it's it's quite it's quite inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. And, and thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. We're here every Thursday with uh, more amazing speakers uh, touching on the different aspects of the interaction between law and technology. So stay tuned for next week. And uh, here's us signing off. The practice of law is changing, and we're here for it. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of Rethinking Legal Ops. Follow us for more such insightful conversations about the transformative impact of legal tech. Also, follow Speed Legal and let us know in your comments and messages about how you leverage legal tech solutions to make your work more efficient. See you next time.